Hello, everyone. Welcome to David Foster Wallace and Gromit, the only officially unlicensed Infinite Jest fan cast. My name is Jared. With me, as always, is Steve. And we are actually, due to some technical difficulties uh, and, and um, you know, uh, attempted recording, we're going to go ahead and just jump right into today's episode with the mailbag. Steve, are you ready for the mailbag? Uh, let me just clarify, gang, and that is that uh, we read a couple stories by Pushkin this week. That's we did. The shot. And a blizzard. So stay tuned for later in our segment, or our segment where we go over uh, what we think of those books, who would like them, and uh, some more suggestions, our reading for next week, and so on. Hopefully, those of you listening were able to follow along, maybe even pull up a PDF, or uh, maybe even you know order something from the library and follow along and read with us. And uh, stay tuned for that later on in the show. Yeah, uh, very fortunately, I think for people who are listening along at home, um, both the shot and at least in my translation, it's just called the snowstorm uh, available in the same um, uh, anthology or the same the same uh, catalog. Anyway, let's go and get in the mailbag. Um, First, I have an email here from Oh, wait, fuck. what what email am I on? Okay, no, no. Okay, we're that's fudge. Anyway, this is an email from Paul. This is an email from Paul, uh, subject line contract offer. And it reads, hi, I hope you are well. Uh, Sanjang Limited currently needs a part-time company representative in your region. Contract offer is very attractive. Write to sanjangltd at dr.com to learn more. Thank you and stay safe. Thank you so much, Paul, for those well wishes and for uh, wishing us sort of, uh, you know, safe times in these uh, you know, in such a delicate situation. And um, a big shout out to uh, Sanjang LTD uh, for such an attractive offer. Next. Um, I just wanted to say, can I please. respond to that really yeah, quick? I, w- I, just I would love it if you did. Quick greeting to Paul over at Sanjang LTD. Thanks, Paul, for that. We really appreciate it. We'll be in contact. Uh, look, I'm always open for a good offer. And uh, I guess, a, you know, a contract offer is a contract offer. Uh, so we'll be in touch, Paul. Uh, just send us uh, send us all your info. Fax it over to us at dfwag at email.biz. And we're just going to check that out. Send us some paperwork. Send us the contract. We got a stamp. You know, we have a company stamp that just says oh, yeah. uh, Dave and Grom. It's just a shortening of the title, right? So Dave, Dave and Grom, Grom LTD. And we just, LTD, and we just stamp that. Send it back. So fax it over. We stamp, scan it in, fax it back. Uh, and it should be as simple as that, Paul. So thanks uh, thanks for keeping in touch. We really appreciate it. Yeah, a lot of people, um, you know, we get a lot of hate mail from people who say, you know, you aren't very transparent. Obviously, we've been, we've been working to be transparent about uh, specifically our sponsorship opportunities and some of the brands that we partner with. But we do get a lot of hate mail. People saying we're not transparent enough in sort of um, you know, the ad copy that we might read and, and the way in which we conduct our business. So I think it's important um, now more than ever in such a, in such a sensitive climate to uh, make sure that our listeners know some of the offers that are coming across our desk. Obviously, contract work is good work in this economy. Um, and, uh, and again, any, any other emails that might be directed towards us, please email us at davidfosterwallaceandgrommet at gmail.com. Now, uh, following that, in the same vein, this is from uh, Romeo Eshalom, uh, John Patrick SNM at gmail.com. Subject line is partnership. Attention partner. We are writing to seek your highly esteemed help slash consent in a lasting business relationship of mutual benefits for investing in your company slash country under a joint venture partnership. Excuse me. I'm willing to provide 100% investing capital with terms that seeds considerable swift equity share to you as managerial dividends. Kindly get back to me for more details. Regards, Romeo. And Romeo, can I just say thank you so much for seeking our high esteem help slash consent. We really appreciate it. And it means a lot to us, especially once again, uh, in such a, you know, a fickle uh, climate and economy such as ours. Um, thanks again, Romeo. Steve, anything on that? Yeah, Romeo, Romeo, where for our, no, Romeo? Well, guess what? Romeo's right here. And honestly, as, uh, as trustworthy as ever, thanks, Romeo. Uh, we'll definitely be in touch for that. Like I said, you can fax us at Dave Grom at, uh, at, uh, at, at, on the email, on an email website. Uh, and we can get back to you on that. And 
It really sounds good. Look, like we said, contract work is good as long as it's more than like a day or something. You know, come on. We don't want like a day-long contract that's, you know, sort of just sort of silly, sort of tickles, yeah. you know, tickles the underarms, you know, mm-hmm. sort of a silly idea, silly, silly little uh, mental exercise. But uh, we really appreciate that, Romeo. And uh, yeah, just happy to be partners with the famous character from Shakespeare. I mean, the man himself. I mean, it, it doesn't get any better than that. <laughs> it really does not get any better when Romeo Eshalom himself sends us an email about our uh, involvement and consent in a business opportunity. And we hear David Foster Wallace yeah. and Gromit, specifically Dave and Grom LLC, are. Uh, right. business holding subsidiary. We love a business opportunity. A lot of people have been talking about business opportunities uh, as of late with the uh, recent news of the game stock uh, or GameStop stock surge. If people are, Steve, I don't know if you're aware wow. of this and the uh, more accessible nature of stock trading as created by Reddit and other online uh, platforms. And we just love to say here, uh, we have a very diverse uh, stock portfolio. So if you have a stock that you want us to get involved in, if you want to violate some SEC violations with us or to create some SEC violations with us, um, please shoot us an email at davidfosterwallacegram at gmail.com. And we'll be sure to become a sort of sounding board for any sort of investment opportunity, get a little uh, money on the back sure. end in our pockets, a couple, a little yeah. ganja green, a little money moolah. That's what we're yeah. about here. People think, good to me. people think that we are all about um, literature here at David Foster Wallace and Gromit, about literacy, about education. And uh, look, to me, to me, books are a stack of paper. And uh, the only paper I give a shit about... I like the sound of that. That's a little moolah, that's a little moolah green, little money moolah, little ganja green. I'll tell you what I care about, and let me just let you know, it's also the color green, and that's the filling of Feijoada Oreos because of that cilantro. I tell you what... Getting free Oreos every day is the only reason I'm on on the air live every week, because I'll tell you, Oreo sponsorship, that's where it's at. Let me just give you two soundbite observations. That's uh, uh, from Romeo A. Shalom. You know, hey, come on, Shalom to you too, am I right? Come on. uh, With respect to the game game stock, I'll tell you what, I hope that the rise of game stock doesn't game stop, because I hope that maybe keeps on going. Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. And now, uh, you know, red alert, we have a little bit of correspondence from our man on the ground, our, our boy in Brazil, if you will, uh, <laughs> Gustavo. Uh, we're on red alert. We're on Ooh. red alert. We're on red alert. Um, <laughs> um, uh, I don't know why that did it for me. Okay, here we go. My thoughts over the last podcast. This is from Gustavo. He did say he doesn't mind if his full name is read, but I think it's more fun to keep a little mystery around our boy in Brazil. He is a man of mystery, so I, I, maybe that's uh, that's better. He's sort of the James Bond of, of Brazil, I've heard. So Yeah, friend of the pod. This was sent on Tuesday, January 26th at 6.05 a.m. Dear Jared and Joe, once again, your number one fan here. What a podcast. The last one. Muhammad's email was inspirational. I shared with my yoga beach volleyball squash fellas and they had a blast to answer your first question. Cilantro in Brazilian Portuguese is C O E N T R O and Portugal Portuguese. I choose not to know because they lost the rights to their language. So as I see, they speak Brazilian and now I just want to put a pin in that real quick. And that is hundred percent correct. Thank you so much, Gustavo for pointing that out. This is the, this is welcome to David Foster Wallace and Gromit, the only official anti-Portugal podcast. Fuck Portugal. Don't go to Portugal. We don't support Portugal. Me and all my homies hate Portugal and everything that they've done to colonize Brazil. We're going to have to cut that. Nope. We're going to have to cut that. I have a deal with Air Portugal. Oh, God. I'm a representative. I'm an airline representative. I'm a stewardess. Are you part of Are you part of the Portuguese government's Portugal Pals program, the PPP? I'm, I'm part of the Air Portugal uh, project. So uh, we're, we're just trying to get Air Portugal back on track in terms of bankruptcy and things like that, trying to get those planes in and out, you know. So we're going to just have to cut that out. That's okay. Thanks, guys. Yeah, we'll have to, we'll have to elaborate on that a little bit uh, on a future date. For all my real Brazil heads out there, this is also the only official uh, pro, what was his name, uh, Carlos Marighella podcast. What's his name? I mean, most Carloses, I think. Hold Santana. On. And any of the others. I tell you, by the way, I like the ring of that. Jared and Joe, that's cool. Yeah. I, you know what? You know what I think that comes from? That comes from the old the old Joe Schmo, you know? 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I tell you, by golly, Joe Schmo uh, doesn't need it. Anyway, let's continue here. Uh, concerning Colorado's beer shipping procedure, now for our, our more astute listeners, uh, we had said last time uh, when Gustavo mentioned his local flavor that at least I uh, here, you know, w- we were interested here in the States uh, if we were able to get our hands on some of that delicious brew. There's Because listen, I love my ganja green and I love a cold brew. Who doesn't? Steve, who doesn't love a cold brew? Talk to the people for a little bit about your feelings on a brew. I'll tell you who doesn't uh, who doesn't love a cold brew. That's uh, all the demons that exist in the world because they uh, don't know. No, you know I take that back. Uh, demons probably drink alcohol, so. And that's right because we are over here on demon time. We are going demon mode, talking about no. a cold brew. <laughs> Cut. Uh, Cut. Steve doesn't want to have any fun this episode. All right, concerning Colorado's beer this shipping is procedure. Friendly. Concerning Colorado's beer shipping procedure, my father will pass by the post to check the price for shipping a can of Colorado to Seattle. It'll probably be costly due to the fact that in Brazil, the post has a monopoly when it comes to international shipping. Always great to listen to you guys while I work and take a dump. Hope you two are doing doing well and keep it real, fellas, because with great power, you know, Gustavo. A um, couple things. One, I did not know that there I'm was a monopoly. Hold on, I did he, not know is- there was. Hold on, I did not know there was a monopolistic um, uh, shipping uh, practice in place in Brazil, and that is unfortunate. I just want to say real quick, uh, my exposure to Brazil has mostly been in film, and then uh, what uh, reels and TikToks Instagram wants to recommend to me. So Brazil seems like a crazy country, and boy, would we love to go there at some point in time. Hopefully, Gustavo can host us. Second thing, Steve, I'm sure we're going to say the same thing regarding the uh, while I work and take a dump. Do you want to go ahead and just take the reins on that one? Uh, I mean, if you if you have something to say about it, I had more of a question. I'm wondering if he's some sort of uh, truck driver, for example, dump truck driver or garbage man. Uh, either that or he's talking about the porcelain throne, which is one, it's not family friendly, but I mean, it sounds like what you're saying is that he's either a garbage man driving a garbage truck or he's a regular garbage man and he's talking about taking a dump. It sounds like what we're faced with is that classic garbage man dialectic. uh, As far as I can see, it's either one of the two. It's one of the two. It's one of of the two. two. Oh boy. Um, all right. Well, Hey, thank you so much, Gustavo for that email. And, um, and yeah, let us keep us posted as to what's going to happen here with, um, a little ice cold brew. And you know what, maybe if it's easier, I'll take the hit on this because again, we, we, and you know, if it's not possible to get that brew, I think as we discussed on, maybe it was the tea geek in episode, or maybe it was the one before that when we discussed, uh, Oh, I don't remember what the hell we read, but, um, just talking about uh, homogeneity. If it's not possible to get that brew out here, that's perfectly fine. That is a local treat. That is something that people, the good people of Brazil, of Sao Paulo, and and uh, of these major metro areas get to enjoy that maybe we just don't get to imbibe. And that's perfectly fine. Now, if it is possible to have, then I would actually say, let's make the push to get it out to Steve, because it might just be easier given that you and Gustavo are a little, um, I mean, closer. The shipping might be a little more user-friendly. I don't know. I guess we'll have to find out. Um, if it, if getting it out here is going to be so costly, but if he might already be receiving a package, it could be, it could sure. be, uh, yeah, a little but more But I mean, affordable. the Brazilian post does a family and friends discount. You know that, right? Oh, geez. Okay. Yeah. Well, I need to make some calls. Yeah. yeah. The monopoly. That's the whole thing about monopoly is once somebody controls the whole thing, they can say, oh yeah, your buddies with, uh, Jeff, Jeff, uh, down in, down in, uh, California and, you know, we can send it at a discount and they give. They give like a slight discount or they throw in some free stuff, some snacks. Maybe they'll throw in a Butterfinger and stuff. Oh, my God. A little bit of free swag with my single can of beer shipped internationally. That's what I need. Well, I mean, hey, I said snacks, but. I mean, you can eat. You can eat it. I mean, what do you want me to say? Yeah, you can have both. Yeah, a Butterfinger, maybe a little swag. t-shirt, maybe a button. A t- like, a free, you know, like at Seafair, the free shit they give you, the like, you know, a button or a drawstring back. Oh, man, a drawstring backpack. That's what I really, you know that's what, I, what... You know what I like at conventions and things like that? Tell me. Like going around and collecting pens. That's what COVID has taken from us. And that's what big government doesn't want you to know. But COVID has decimated the free swag industry. The drawstring backpacks, the the pens that you tip upside down. And maybe there's like a bikini girl or like a little landscape or something. What? You don't know what I'm talking about? 
No, I mean, not in not those specific. You I mean, love doing this. You love acting all holier than thou when I say something that's such a universal touchstone. I say something that everybody knows. I'm over here just riffing it out. I got my I got my piping hot cup of coffee. I got my big glass of water. I said, I'm ready to record. What do you give me? You give me nothing. You give me a, a half hour polemic on indecency and literature. And the whole time I'm just staring at you, giving you one of these going, can we record? Can we record? And we record. And what do we do? You bring it into the recording. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm so sorry for Steve's behavior on this episode. I tried to have David Foster Wallace and Gromit after dark, David Foster Wallace and Gromit demon time. And what does he say? No, we got to read the mailbag. All right. Okay. Hey folks, this is Steve, uh, Steve chiming in. Hey, just wanted to say hi to you guys. Let you guys know I'm still here. I just uh, wanted to make sure that everybody knows that. uh, In fact, I try to keep David Foster Wallace and Gromit a family friendly podcast that is free of demon hour and free of after dark because actually actually what we what we really want is to be is to have the lights on and uh, maybe it's dark outside but inside it's light because we keep lights on uh to keep our bed bugs and nightmares and that's uh, right steve oh that's right david foster wallace and gromit is talking lights on this is a message for all the freaks out there steve is 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 signaling to the freaks only this is a freak only pod Hey guys, uh, Steve here. I'm back. Just wanted to clarify, quick clarification. That's actually uh, freaks, freaks, no thanks. Let's have friends only. That's the only FR uh, word we want in here. Friends, not freaks. And maybe we can throw in the French too, because they can be our friends as well. Anybody's welcome, but freaks not. And this whole lights on stuff only is in terms of keeping the lights on uh, so you can see the cup of tea in your hand. That's all. Thanks, guys. Anyway, um, you want to get into this week's reading selection, or do we have any other? Uh... Oh, you know what? I actually kind of want to talk about um, what we've selected for next week, real quick, because I have a bone to pick with um, the the free literature online PDF industry at large. Okay. So, hey guys, welcome to David Foster Wallace and Gromit. Jared has another bone to pick. Stay tuned for that. Jared, go ahead. Hi, welcome to Jared's Bone Picking Hour. Um, and this will take, we're at 15 minutes right now. This will take the remaining 45. Uh, so this morning. Well, then hold on just one second. Let's just really quickly review the books. Uh, Blizzard was good, pretty interesting. And so was The Shot. Go check them out. Jared, back to you. <laughs> All right. So this morning I um, I said, you know, we've been reading, we've been reading a little Russian romantic literature or maybe even potentially uh like post-romantic literature uh in terms of in terms of sort of the irony that that is approached to them in the v a little less so in the v it it was almost like um upon revisiting it now a week you know a week later almost kind of like a condemnation of um sexuality in favor for that sort of religious asceticism but anyway we already went into that with these sort of the same kind of thing um less so the shot the shot did have some relationship politics, but much more so with the, the blizzard. Anyway, no, so I wanted to I wanted to find for us maybe something a little different. First, I went looking for um, some of Rod Serling of Twilight Zone and Night Gallery fame's uh, novellas, which are nowhere to be found in PDF form, not without paying or giving your computer some kind of virus. Then, you know, through one means or another, I started looking at some of the early works of uh, Anthony Burgess. And I thought, oh, it could be good to read, um, oh, I don't know, uh, One Hand Clapping or uh, The Eve of St. Venus or something like that. Again, nowhere. What's up? Or Zorro. He wrote Zorro? Anthony Banderas? Ah, yes, of course. And Spy Kids fame and, uh, you know, many Almodovar films. And of course, yeah. Um, But no, I mean, there's really no way to find a lot of there. I guess really what this comes down to it's not about what we're reading for next week but it's about how the um the gutenberg project and the internet archive have failed us once again because there sometimes it's just hard as hell to find a pdf sometimes it's just a it's a real pain i was looking for a bunch of philip roth short stories um specifically goodbye columbus because i wanted to read something i wanted to read something that was a little bit crank free but a little bit a little crankful even still and um what else was I looking for? Oh, and, and eventually it led me to um, Malcolm Lowry's, um, what's it called? Lunar, oh no, uh, Lunar Caustic. And upon not being able to find that, I said, you know what? 
We've read enough short stories. It's time to go whole hog. Glorious return to form on David Foster Wallace and Gromit. Full novel or novella. And we're going ultramarine mode. That's right. You thought, we're, you thought I was going to say under the volcano. Everyone did. But no, we're going ultramarine mode because it's not that kind of podcast. We don't need to get into uh, such a celebrated classic when re- we could read something that's a little underrated or undersung. Anyway, that's just what I wanted to say. I was having a hell of a time finding a PDF this morning. And if you listener out there, and I can tell you per, uh, per Spotify analytics within the past 24 hours, I can tell you right now, we got a, we got some listeners out there big time. Um, shoot us an email. If there are any books you want us to read novellas, short stories, um, and that you have a PDF or some kind of shareable link for, we would actually really appreciate that in earnest, really appreciate that. And then be sure to give us a five-star review or a rating on iTunes. Um, Steve, any thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I don't want to necessarily mandate what anybody reviews. Um, but, you know, obviously. Uh, I, I would say my preference would be on the higher end of star, star value. Yes. Uh, but as far as book recommendations go, uh, we always appreciate a good recommendation, like we've said. And I, I'm particularly interested in local flavor suggestions yes hey i'm uh you know so and so and i'm from this place and you know sort of a classic author is this and their book that they're famous for is this one something you know something like that would be a really cool message yeah we'd really appreciate that we appreciate the business you know all the business opportunities and stuff especially i mean you know look nobody's going to complain about oreo sponsorships nobody's going to complain i i know jared's not complaining about the about the uh oh what is it what is the that uh is it is it funko funko that you've got i mean i'm looking at it right now you've got your big funko collection behind you yeah and you're 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 now you're now into their i know you do this on a different podcast you do reviews toy reviews yeah and you're you're into the funko bobbleheads i you know jared i'm looking at him right now he's got a big a big armoire with bobbleheads in it yes and it's not even bobbleheads as you guys would think you guys might think of baseball Mm -hmm. you guys might think of bobbleheads you know a big eric jeter bobblehead or something I'm I'm looking at it and it's actually sort of big eyes, big heads. Yeah. And really small, you know, wide, like disproportionately wide. And I, what am I looking at there? I'm looking at uh, sort of uh, this, homunculan uh, proportions. And you've got a bunch. You've, I see some more stuff on those shelves. It's like uh, blue. You know those in England, those uh, phone the phone booths, but it's blue. Mm-hmm. And then you've got the, what the heck is the sort of like R2-D2 type characters. He's got all sorts of crazy stuff. And so I know Jared's a big fan. He really appreciates all of the support. I uh, love it. As no, far I, as fan mail, because yeah. he gets, he gets PO box stuff for, for stuff to review. I don't know if it's from you guys or also, or only from the other podcast, but he's getting a lot of Funko uh, and sort of to, he does toy reviews. Yes. And so that's it's really cool to look back there, and I see I can even tell you know what I mean. I'm just trying to paint you guys a picture. I can even yeah. tell that the the collection's growing. There's really a lot yeah. of cool merchandise stuff there. Well, and can I, can't I tell, tell you if uh... that's Yoda or ET? I see maybe it's one of each, but I can't quite tell what character some of these guys are. But it's really cool, and uh, I think it's really great. So you guys are great, and we just appreciate it no matter what. Jared, back to you. Yeah, I actually really appreciate you pointing out both my Yoda and my baby Yoda recent acquisitions. But a big thing that fans of my uh, secondary podcast, uh, Tardis Tardat, a Doctor Who fan cast, are, are, <laughs> are going to know about my recent ac- <laughs> my recent acquisition. <laughs> Sorry, shit. Um, my recent acquisition from the good people over at Funko, and that is right. I have all 22 doctors in Funko form. <laughs> it's something I'm really proud of. I have built a <laughs> cabinet just for them. Um, guests into my home, as I receive so many visitors this time of the year, are astounded 
at the uh, level of articulation that the good people of Funko have ordained these sort of homunculan figurines with. Um, and I just love having all my doctors there. I have uh, Matt Smith. I have David Tennant. I have the girl one. I have, I have all of them. I have all the doctors. And now, it means so much to me to have them. Again, um, I, for those listening. Wrong. Oh, yeah, sorry. I was just going to say, uh, and for everyone listening who loves Funkos as much as I do and loves a Doctor Who fan cast where we discuss mostly the merchandising opportunities available to the Doctor Who universe, be sure to check out Tardis Tardat. And that does have two question marks um, on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Sounds good, Jared. I just wanted to, I had a quick question because you're more the fan. I don't really know about this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I was more, I'm, I'm more into, I'm more of a history buff. Sure. In that sense, I look into uh, sort of the fun, the fun things in history, and you're a really big sci-fi kind of guy. Now, as a huge sci-fi yeah. fan, and as a huge fan of, uh, of I guess Doctor Who, I know you're a big into Star Trek. And I mean, people, that, those, you know, not to cut you off, but people ask me all the time my favorite sci-fi universes. And I guess I just say Doctor Who, Firefly, and Harry Potter. I love sci-fi. I cannot get enough of it. I'm addicted oh, to it. Oh, that's right. You also like Harry Potter. And you like, what's that What's that character's name? The bald one. Dumbledore. And I tell you what, uh-huh. those, that, these characters, some of these names are just silly. And so I do like that. I like the silly name. But I do want to get into a quick question I had for you. Now you know more about this, but I've heard through the grapevine, through some of my, some of the, some of the, you know, some of the little birds in my ear, uh, or my head, <laughs> uh, and that is that <clears throat> there's going to be a Doctor Who, James Bond crossover, where actually, and I don't know if this, here's here's my question for you because you have the Hollywood connections, is it get it's James Bond is the doctor mm-hmm. from doctor who is that the case that's what i heard that is true and now the, here's the thing it's not a forthcoming collaboration it's a forthcoming reveal um real fans real heads of the show longtime listeners of tardis tardat know that uh james bond 007 has long been hinted at being the next doctor and we all know that the last doctor was just killed off in uh a, you know an excruciating fashion in in, in a, a real season cliffhanger and what we're going to see at the beginning of season 29 uh, is uh, James Bond sitting at sitting in Monaco, sitting at a little at a little casino bar. And he's going to be saying, you know, shaken, not stirred when boom, flash right. of light. Everybody's favorite character from the Doctor Who universe, TARDIS, shows up and says, hello, governor, come with me. And it oh just gosh. off the rails. I mean, I can't oh wait. I can't gosh. wait for that reveal. And I and and you guys are gonna like this. I know this part's true. You guys are gonna like this. Those of you listening, <laughs> can you imagine? Do you know who's gonna play? Who's gonna play it? I'll tell you. There, he's gonna show up on screen. It's the Doctor Who, uh, uh, James Bond crossover, and he goes, "Hello, my name's Doctor Who," and guess who it is? It's Mr. Bean. And I tell you, the fans, you'll see, they're gonna love it. I think it's also important to note because a lot of people are going to say, oh, Mr. Bean, you mean Rowan Atkinson. They're going to they're going to accuse you of not being as well versed on your uh, BBC drama, your Mr. Bean, your Blackadder. But no, what we're talking about is specifically the character Mr. Bean is going to be the James Bond and new doctor for this. Re- and that's the thing. So for a long time, people have said, you know, who when Daniel Craig, um, you know, sort of passes on the mantle. Um, you know, he's aging out of the role. Who's going to be, who's going to be the new James Bond. And for a long time, I think people said, Oh, Tom Hardy. They said, Oh, uh, Idris Elba. You know, there were a few, there were a few high, uh, you know, high profile Brits, um, who were, who were in talks to be the new James Bond. Something that people never considered is they're doing sort of like a, a legacy bond with this new one for the doctor who collaboration, of course, a time traveling bond and who better than an aging Rowan Atkinson reprising his classic character, Mr. Bean. So again, you know, as I'm describing, we have that opening scene in Monaco. We have him, you know, shaken, not stirred. Of course, with the Mr. Bean character, it's going to be a little more like a, you know, his little grunts and groans. And of course, he has a turkey on his head the whole time. So it's not going to be until about halfway through the episode that we are seeing, that we see for the first time that it is, of course, that classic British staple Mr. Bean. 
when he's given out his allow governors and his um your, your war and his inlets a lot of those right oh man i just can't wait till the day that mr bean is elected into the royal family through the democratic vote of royal family edition and i'll tell you this crossover is going to be the great british crossover and i'm just looking forward to it and it's going to be a lot of fun so back to you jared really excited for that and again of course um you know since we're here uh, be sure to email us at Dave Foster Wallace and Gromit, but it is equally important to shoot us an email at tardistardat at gmail.com. Um, thank you so much. And if this has been narrow casting, if you know we're excluding a lot of our listeners, don't worry. Uh, I believe it is about that time. Steve, do you want to talk about a little bit of Pushkin for this week, specifically with the shot and with the blizzard slash the snowstorm? Yeah, Pushkin is kind of a you know, staple of Russian literature. And uh, we read a couple stories, a couple classics, The Shot, The Blizzard. Yeah. Uh, I guess let's jump, let's go alphabetically, I suppose, jump into The Blizzard and sure. discuss, discuss kind of what went on there. Uh, it's about a snowstorm. Surprise, surprise. Um, basically, The Blizzard takes place kind of in. Let's say, uh, I think, it, is it around? I, I assume it's around the time that Pushkin lived, which is, I think, early 1800s. It's towards the end of 1811. This is uh, a yeah, big okay. plot point, a big a big plot point or big setting 18, for this. 1812. Yeah, is, is a war in 1812 of which, you know, one character is shipped off from and one character returns home yeah. from. Um, just yeah. to, just like to really, because I, I would rather us get into the weeds with our, our feelings and interpretation. The short of it is sure. you have this sort of, you have this, um, the daughter of a, a wealthier family of a potentially a, an oligarch at this time who has um, fallen in love with a, a soldier. It's a very, you know, she's very inspired by romantic literature. She reads a lot of French literature. Um, they not a soldier at the time, though. not a soldier at the time. Exactly. Um, they conspire to be wed against her parents' wishes. And they work up this whole scenario where they're going to meet at this church in a town, not too far away. And, you know, they're going to go under cover of darkness and the day comes and there's this, dreadful snowstorm you know the girl's very conflicted but she's off um under mysterious circumstances of which the reader is not aware she comes back unwed the boy goes off gets lost in the snowstorm gets lost in a drift eventually is brought back around to the town hours and hours later by sunup and he's missed the girl entirely now correspondence comes to the house to the girl's house to the family saying the boy no longer wants anything to do with her and he's he's off to war years later years and years later her father's dead and a new man comes into her life, this new soldier, and they develop. Also, he's reason. dead. The Vladimir's yeah. also dead. Exactly. Her yeah. father's her, dead. The soldier's, you her know, first Vladimir. Father's dead. Yeah. Again, yeah. for no, there's no apparent reason as to, or in her mind, there's no reason as to why he has so completely fallen out of love with her. But he's dead and she is alone. She's a little more uh, embittered with her mother. She takes, she takes the whole estate because mm-hmm. the father is dead. Exactly. So she now has this massive estate to her name. And she's being courted uh, by the eligible bachelors in the area. Yeah. And now Sorry. the eligible bachelor of her choosing effectively confronts her and, and, you know, they begin to, he begins to explain to her, you know, I do have this love for you. And, you know, she's, she's taken aback by it. She's flattered by it, but she is, you know, kind of dancing around the fact that she still ha- holds love for this, this fallen soldier to which her new suitor admits you know, but I am, unfortunately, I'm already married and explains that a year prior, he too, you know, arriving to this town is, is summoned to this church, you know, saying, you know, people coming at him saying, oh, thank God you're here. Thank God you're here. Finally, he gets there. He's married, you know, unceremoniously kind of against his will. And once they are already wed, the girl turns to him and says, oh no, it's the wrong guy. And he flees. Of course, Surprise, 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 surprise. The two are already married and the story ends with sort of a mutual, maybe horror, confusion, uh, a little bit of dread, a little bit of anxiety, sort of your classic twist ending. And Steve, I will say this. I love a classic twist ending. I had written a little note Mm. about this. Um, I think I just said in terms of my take on it, um, a little bit of classic marriage goofing. Now, what do you think about the blizzard? 
The blizzard is, uh, you know, I would say the theme of <clears throat> the blizzard is kind of, I'll put this in quotation marks, air quotation marks, and that is uh, we bungled it. Yeah. You know, I guess that's the takeaway. I'm, I think it's, you know, I think it's uh, even from the beginning kind of critical of of this uh, uh, f- flighty uh, I guess we all understand it again this is a story that's kind of been told I initially thought it was going to be maybe a bit of a uh, Romeo not the not our correspondent via email but a Romeo and Juliet type story uh, it wasn't quite so so overtly tragic but I, I think it had a similar idea which was yeah. that uh, uh, it's a bit critical of kind of Maybe this Russian culture of, even in general, even with the later marriage, right? This, maybe this culture at the time in Russia of perhaps taking after the British. Uh, uh, I don't know where it initially came from, but this dowry, dowry and pressure to get married because eventually the parents said, no, we should let her marry for love. But by that time, uh, Vladimir, the initial man, uh, had already left and said, I'm going to war. I'm not interested anymore. Um, and so the parents eventually kind of uh, protested their original sentiment, which their original sentiment was, no, we don't want her to have anything to do with uh, Vladimir. He's not wealthy enough. He's not from a prestigious family, etc. He goes off to war. Uh, it's also perhaps uh, a bit of a statement for this for the, the war movement not entirely sure of the details behind that but uh you know so there's this this idea that there's something wrong with this system this familial system in place that kind of has the the daughters find a suitor and the suitors have to be proper and it's the other way around with the you know daughters have to have dowries and uh there's a lot of material Mm-hmm. related to this exchange and it's almost it's almost a business transaction or a property transaction and i think there's there's something in this story about that in a way i think yeah maybe more than something in both of the exchanges both with the the previous suitor because you know as it turns out for all of this time they've been married already and no transaction has taken place now they're uh, kind of like oh oops Yeah, no, I think it I think it was all a um, mistake as well. So it's yeah. I think it follows that, suit. Sorry. No, no, I was gonna say I, I agree. Actually, it follows suit nicely with V because it it kind of surrounds itself with like ritual and and yeah, the transactional nature of these relationships. Um, I mean, it's it's sort of your classic like provincial melodrama. So the mm-hmm. transactional nature isn't really pertaining to what we see now in like modern literature, where normally it's about like. Um, I guess, and maybe there's like an implicit understanding here, but like more transactional, transactional uh, intimacy and, and affection in a relationship. What we have here instead is just the very ritual of being married. The, the physical nature of her going to these towns and going through the motions for a whole lot of nothing. I mean, these are characters who are enamored by the idea of either a forbidden love or this sort of, you know, ardor that, that they feel for one another. And then upon realizing that they've already been married, that all everything's already been done for them, it's great disinterest. It's almost like disgust and anguish. I mean, like the, the appeal of this sort of romanticism is just in the act. It's just in going through the motions. Yeah. The actual like living with someone, the, the idea of a, of a eternal love, of sharing a life with someone. I mean, there's no, there's no intimacy. It's just a very surface level, if, if not even like, media centric or literary understanding of what love is in a relationship especially something that is deemed so profound and so you know awe inspiring between these characters yeah. um and, and i think that's great too yeah yeah and, you, you know. get the idea that they're they very much poured the concrete i mean at the beginning the mm-hmm. girl and vladimir this the initial the initial guy they've already poured the the concrete into the into the bathtub where they're both standing it's you know that's 
and and yet you know just like that in the middle of a snowstorm it all completely changes and it's sort of yeah silly there's a silly mm -hmm. it's, know, a, it's a it's a ironic fable, you know it's a yeah. cautionary tale because you have yeah, sure. it's it's both barrels it's it's you know oh you know a a long-lasting relationship, a, a, a profound and, and impactful relationship isn't one founded on, <clears throat> you know, a month's worth of intimacy with someone and then, oh, let's, let's, you know, elope, let's escape from your parents. Just as apparently it also isn't months and months of courting, maybe a year of courting and a much more contemplative and understanding and delicate approach to that same courtship, both of which Pushkin is, is proposing are equally destructive and equally... I guess, sort of paltry in the face of whatever his kind of beyond our grasp understanding of, of love and of, you know, um, I, I don't know, I guess the experiential nature of like to, to love someone, whatever that might be to him is beyond the grasp of all these characters. Um, but no, I mean, again, it, it is, I guess my only real complaint with it, not even a complaint, but uh, my only criticism is that <clears throat> for the story that it's telling you do get a little lost in the weeds with just the exposition. It is a lot oh, of, yeah. it's a lot of just walking through step-by-step step everything that happens to get to this final payoff. And it is worthwhile because it does kind of like atonement. It does build mm -hmm. for you this world in which like these are characters holding out for each other. It's a very, it's a very divine love. It's a very celestial, you know, like Dante and Beatrice kind of love of like, you know, we're, we're, you know, the, the star cross lovers trope of like, we're seeking each other across the universe. And then, you know, they get there and it's like, oh, this is fucking nothing. <laughs> this is a waste of our time. And by proxy, the readers in a way, and that's why it's sort of the goof. That's the classic, like, you know, oops, we ended up here. We've been here the whole time. Yeah. Um, but no, I enjoyed it. I mean, I, again, for any of our listeners who have enjoyed what we've read so far, I think they're no stranger to us reading a good deal of Russian literature for the pod. And I think that they'd have a right. lot of fun with this, considering it's so readily available. Yeah, and and also maybe this deals like what we were saying with sort of transactionality and and property and motions and mm -hmm. kind of the obligation of marriage and, and these types of things. The sort of uh, uh, the obligation of uh, love to the point that kind of the actual daily daily contact part is kind of removed. Sort of a bizarre dynamic, perhaps listeners or, or those who are familiar might uh, recognize these types of thing, themes from a more popular Russian author, a more popular Russian book, and that's Anna Karenina. Woo! Yep. You know, this, yep. this plays out as well, kind of the class system and this whole marriage thing and all of this. And obviously Anna Karenina, Karenina is, or Karenina is extensive it's a very thick book this is this is a short story that kind of touches on what yeah. happened before and of course i'm sure within the russian literature community uh these authors are influenced by one another and i'm sure that this theme is pervasive in in a lot of literature in general and so i'm sure tolstoy tolstoy was i'm i'm sure very very familiar with pushkin yeah and other authors like that it doesn't off the top of my head doesn't show up in any of the dostoevsky's i've read but tolstoy is is i suppose a bit more accessible in theme to a degree yeah uh maybe not so not not completely dark there's dark themes in more standard uh, uh, more standard and uh, uh, accessible books. Yeah, I mean, I think um, uh, a a good point to mention, especially with anyone who's who's looking to get into this or into any of the Russian literature we've read so far and recommended, or into Russian literature uh, period. Something very important to keep in mind: these are very familiar themes. You're going to see a lot of them, and it's because what we've read in terms of time period has transcended like a romantic period. And we have read just a harrowing amount of chamber dramas because you know me and I'm speaking on behalf of both of us here, Dave Foster Wallace and Gromit. We love a chamber drama. We love a little melodrama. We go nuts for it. Um, sure. You can't beat it. 
do you want to do you want to get into the shot the shot also uh you know feels kind of monte cristo oh yeah it is a story of of revenge there's a a bit of this revenge revenge you know there's sort of this this kind of struggle this struggle tale of revenge I mean, we never, we never get honor through dueling. We never get a, a complete description of, of our, of our characters in this, but I am imagining at right. least one of them was sort of that classic iron mask. Could very well be. Could very well be. Could very well be. Just a quick aside, the note that I had written, I said, uh, the shot Silvio's revenge, the intersection of bravery, bravery, masculinity, shame, and honor. Uh, uh, do you want to give us a little synopsis? Sure. Yeah, so the basis of the story is we have... So Silvio was the officer of their company, as I understood it. He was more more, more of a senior role, correct? He was in a senior the, role. I don't think he was actually... Narrator. I don't think he was in the military, though. I'm pretty sure he just lived in the town, and the military, the younger military men, like enjoyed hanging out with him. He had a house on base. That's why he was able to leave so freely. Okay, I see. Yeah. Yeah, that, I guess that makes more sense. But in any case, so mm-hmm. our, our narrator is basically a young soldier during this war. Um, and they, you know, his company enjoys hanging out with a guy called Silvio, whether or not he was in the military or not. It really doesn't matter too much. But the point is, he had been or to a degree, right? He had experience, you know, crack shot. He, he did all sorts of gun tricks, was just... The sort of this, you know, cool hand Luke, you know, exactly fastest mm-hmm. hand in the West. Yep. Mm-hmm. Both sides of the Mississippi, right? And uh, so that's Silvio, sort of this brooding, you know, brooding authoritative figure, right? The ideal, the ideal of these young soldiers. Uh, doesn't care about opinions and this kind of this. This, yeah, what's the word? But it doesn't matter. Anyways, so he gets effectively he gets in a fight with uh, one of their guys, and everybody's expecting that guy to be dead, and he uh, and nothing ends up happening. And out of nowhere, they're in the mail room, and and uh, Silvio tells the guys, "I'm," uh, or they're they're reading their mail, something. Silvio tells the guys, you know, I'm leaving. I have business to attend to. And, our, and he takes our narrator to the side and says, look, you know, I don't care that much about opinions, but I care about your opinion. You know, we've become friends. And as the narrator said, they had become friends. And he told him a story of the business that he is going to attend to. And that is that... Uh, he wants, and what was the conflict? Yeah, in any case, he basically, he goes to finish what he started. He was in a duel with a man a year or two ago, something like that. I think many years ago. Maybe more. Could I think more, it was yeah. like when they were around the same age. It was like 10 years prior. And he, basically the, the impetus of it was that he, you know, he was the cool guy in his military <sighs> barrack and then this rich guy showed up someone who had had everything held, you know he handed to him cool guy yeah someone who had you know uh, who was you know had this sort of superiority complex and like with you know, the ladies yeah and silvio had that just was also mentioned grown jealous. so grown so tired of it grown so jealous um with the the very kind of suave and debonair nature of this uh you know jack of all trades rich guy rich kid who showed yuppie. up sort of yuppie yuppie and uh and you know went went to him and said something that incensed him so that he you know slapped him and he said i challenge you to do a duel unfortunately during the duel the the rich guy you know draws first he he shoots pokes a little hole in silvio's cap but but doesn't kill him and then when silvio aims raises his pistol to shoot him he says that the uh the rich boy is just eating cherries spitting out little pits couldn't be bothered doesn't care says oh you know either silvio is not good enough for me or this isn't even good enough for my time and at that, Silvio said, you know, clearly I'm not worth your time. You know, we'll, we'll call this off. I'll get, I'll get you at a later date, basically. Just said, you know, you watch your back. And now 10 years have passed and he's heard correspondence that 
this boy is uh, is now a man. He's now getting married. And Sylvia says, it's time to exact my revenge. Right. Mm-hmm. And then, should I go? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just getting into, the, you know, a little, oh, a little uh, additional yeah, supplemental least. exposition. Yeah. I get it. I get it. Uh, basically, so then uh, uh, he leaves. Years go by. Eventually, our narrator runs into this guy. He's a colonel at this point. And he is invited over to the colonel's house to meet with the colonel's wife. And he hears the story uh, eventually. Or th- they didn't know at first, right? They, it, it, they found out in the conversation that they know Silvio. The yeah, colonel so... knows Silvio. And then the colonel is the one. The colonel then told the story of, ah, so you know him. Here's how it all ended. Right. Years down the road, our narrator is now living in a, in a different village, different you know, province. Uh, here's talk of this like Duke or Countess, this Countess and, and her husband who are coming to stay in the village. And he says, oh, I'll go over there and I'll, you know, say hello. Basically, I'll be neighborly. I'll pay respect to the rich and, yeah. you know, let them know that I'm a noble servant. And then they get to talking about a couple bullet holes that are in his wall. You know, the greatest shot our narrator ever knew is brought up. And of course, they happen to know Silvio as well. Right. Here's, here's how it all ended. Basically, Silvio uh, showed up uh, and was standing there in in, in his uh, crosshairs. You know, I got you in my crosshairs. See, I'm hunting wabbits. See, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think you're a wise guy. See, mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. what he tells him. That was actually the that was actually that's a quote. Yes, you think you're a wise guy. See, so he tells you know you think you're a wise guy. And, uh, and, uh, yeah, count. It's not Colonel, is it? It's count. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Bungled it. Dang. Sorry. Well, you, guys. Were, you were thinking Colonel from the V. The old yeah. colonel, I tell yeah. you. The old colonel. The old colonel. So the count, uh, the count tells him the story that, uh, Silvio shows up one day or somebody was waiting for him. There was a, there was a sledge in his driveway and a man in his in his study waiting for him for business reasons. And the count goes upstairs. And alas, it's his old dueling partner, his old dueling buddy from years ago. And Sylvia basically has him in his crosshairs and says, you know, I'm not too keen on this. Uh, this is more murder. Imagine that. Yep. Not so much a duel anymore. So what if we just... What if we just... Uh, Reset the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and as it turns out, the, uh, uh, let me get this. Are you stalling out over there? What's going on? Do you want me to count, take the reins? Count nervously shoots at Silvio and yeah. misses because they do a coin flip. He wins. Yeah. I'm just trying oh, to. Always re- the I'm lucky trying- one. Sure, he's always the luck. I'm trying to recount the whole thing. They do a coin flip. The count wins. Count shoots at Silvio. Misses. Nervous. Hands are shaken. And Silvio uh, ends up not shooting him, basically. Long story short, the wife comes in and is down on her knees, groveling and begging, don't, uh, don't do this. And then they start, like, trying to gaslight her and say, oh, no, we're just playing around. No, no, no. Like, the, is this true? The her husband kind of start well because first she comes in, she throws herself on her husband, and then he's like, "No, no, we're just playing around. It's fine. It's not that serious." To which Silvio is like, "Right, it's not that serious. Just like it wasn't that serious all those years ago. Just like it'll never be for you, basically." And he's like, "He's like, oh, it's a shame I don't have any cherry. Pe-. I mean, he's like very vindictive, very hostile." And that's when the wife throws herself at his feet and starts groveling, and Silvio eventually just says, "Like, you know, my work here is done." You know, I've seen basically like I've seen the man you are, you know, I've seen enough. And then he turns around without even looking and shoots like a centimeter above where the count had missed him just to prove a point. Just like, you know, I would have killed you, but I don't even like you're already disgraced. You're already a shell of a man. And then it ends with, uh, you know, our narrator kind of saying like, you know, that's the last I heard. And eventually I heard that Silvio had joined up with a group of, uh, you know, soldiers and hussars. Yeah, and was off you know, fighting elsewhere, you know, he had kind of re he had retaken the mantle. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's the perfect, it's the perfect sort of story about, 
it's not really about revenge as much as it is just dignity and what had truly incensed Silvio in the first place was that he wasn't being respected as a man. He wasn't being seen as a worthy adversary despite his knowledge that he was. And he wasn't going to let, you know, it, it was, it's like, a, it's another class issue. It's another sort of, uh, you know, provincial story where he wasn't going to be stepped on. He wasn't going to be under the boot of the ruling class. So he said, oh, okay, I'll take my time. And at the end of the day, went about trying to strip the count of title of his relationship of all the trappings of wealth and the, the ways in which they've protected him over all these years, the sort of shell that class had afforded him to just say like, you know, remember who you are, remember who I am. Went on his merry way. We love to see it. Mm -hmm. Love to see it. I think um, between the two, between the two, I think I preferred the shot. Um, Me too. I've I've already forgotten the, as you guys can tell, I've, boy, patchy memory. But uh, no, I mean, I'd be curious to read a couple more in the short story collection. Steve, any any thoughts on maybe some themes and you know some of the some of the motifs present? Sorry, I keep burping my smoothie. Oh, I, I mean, I <sighs> you you basically covered it all. Kind of this. Uh, I look, I couldn't have said it better myself. Oh my god. <laughs> Oh, boy. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you're ready because next week when we read Ultramarine, we're not even going to do a synopsis. We're getting right into our opinions. We're getting right into criticism. We're only we're only affording you this gesture, this luxury, because these are short stories. But next week, oh, you better have read along because we're going to be going hog, H-A-G, or H-A-W-G, uh, W-I-L-D. H-A-G, hag wild. I hag tell wild. you what, if you go... If you go, if you go to Hagwild, you'll uh, you'll find yourself in a uh, church uh, being uh, uh, seduced by the V. You know? mm-hmm. That's a, that's just a little little Easter egg to our previous episode. But anyways, theme wise, I think I think you covered you, what you said is 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 how I how I kind of see it. It's it's a very yeah, I mean class class oriented struggle i think there's a lot of a lot of bitterness on the part of silvio that's that's kind of the idea this is a a bitter character 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 you know what i mean it's yeah it's not the narrator he's not a normal guy he is a character in a book he is he is you know shigur the judge he is all of these kind of a self-ordained uh, a self-ordained character within the story mm-hmm. in a way if that makes sense you know what i mean yeah yeah no, and, he's, a, uh, he's, uh, he's very much so someone who is looking to exact revenge or to establish masculinity not through you know acts of bravery or of uh you know supposed valor but in yeah, his I mean, like you know I, i'm not even sure if it's to prove masculinity i think it's more so uh, to operate outside of the class boundary, you know, that's, mm-hmm. that's, I think the point that's trying to be proven more so than I'm more of a man, but uh, sure. it could be, it could be either way, but to me, it's more so a look, we know that skill, right? Silvio is the most skilled. And what I, it seems to me like what he's trying to say is in the end class or not, I win, whether right. or not I shoot you, whether or not I kill you. You continue with this, knowing that I win, without having fired a shot. Yeah, I do think these things are and tied I think together. That's though maybe more. Yeah, it, it could very well be right. I'm not saying, I'm not saying anything concrete. But I saw this more as uh, proving a point to kind of. You know, like I said, self-ordained, living outside of a class structure, you're still within it. You're still living within the confines of the different pockets, the different microcosms of, of what class does or what, what effect it has, economic and whatever, whatever else may be. But I think a lot of the key here is that he kind of ordains himself to operate outside of that, even though it's within a primal uh, medium. And that is in terms of death and killing and et cetera. Mm-hmm. But still you add that in and it's, it's saying 
you know, in this even still without firing a shot at it. No, I agree. I think we're on the same page. I think, you know? I think it's important to note that it's about, yeah, he's ordained himself the ability to transcend class by nature of his revenge. And I think that's important because when he doesn't, when he doesn't lash out against the soldier and everyone else in the barrack kind of mocks him or thinks less of him, that's what I mean when it's a commentary on uh, masculinity. Because mm. because of his, his refusal to immediately resort to violence, he is seen as less of a man, he's seen as weaker, and that is within his own class. So he is now taking that sort of right. feeling and that like sort of what had then become more, more like calm and reserved demeanor throughout this period of his life, channeling that back into and enough, enough rage, enough motivation, enough bitterness to propel himself out of his sort of class, his out of his strata into the home of the count as a reminder that it's like, because of your money, because of your carefree nature, you were seen as the victor. You were seen as brave. You were seen as, as uh, of having more valor and more honor. And I was seen as a coward, which at that point in time is very tied to masculinity. And I think in a lot of ways still is this idea of like patriotism, valor of, of violence is all tied to, to being a ma- maybe not even masculine as much as the male experience. So him being in his house sure. or refusals to kill him, but to force the count to debase himself, to rob them of their honor and their dignity, to show them as weak, scared, cowardly in their home, rob them of the, you know, sort of protection that wealth has afforded them. Sure. It not only kind of, I mean, that's why he rejoins the war because he's able to, to propel himself like that and then be reminded of his own strength, his own ability, his own, I mean, you know, maybe there's like a, a potential conflict where it's like a superiority complex at that point, but you know, that's, sure. but it, uh, it, it re-endows him, I guess with that sort of pride and that sort of honor and that sort of, I guess at that point in time, again, masculinity, he rejoins the army. I mean, he begins fighting again. He is, he now has the ability to do so. Um, but no, I agree. I mean, it is, it is so much so less about both of these, less about masculinity and more about class struggle and that the ability for people to kind of ascend and descend the social ladder. Hmm. But um, anyway, we're at, we're at one hour just shy of, um looks like we didn't get a chance to talk about infinite jest we spent a little too much time um goofing on dfwag after dark and demon time um (laughs) and uh but no so we'll be back next week of course with uh our selection our weekly selection of infinite jest and and we can't wait for all that exciting uh, analysis and critique of course we will also be reading for our supplemental novella uh ultramarine by malcolm lowry and uh, that does seem to be widely available if people want to find a PDF of that or check it out from their local lending library. Uh, Steve, any final thoughts as we close this week's episode? Well, thank you, everybody, for tuning in uh, live on David Foster, Wallace and Gromit, uh, dot com. We really appreciate it. Uh, shoot us an email if you're uh, interested in getting in touch. We love it. You know, we like to read our mailbag. So if you got any cool, fun emails, any, any fun ideas, cool thoughts, uh, even silly stuff, silly suggestions and uh, silly thoughts, all in for that. Super cool uh, book suggestions, uh, local local flavors, any of that sort of thing. We're, uh, we're definitely looking forward to stuff like that. So, yeah, thanks, guys. Hope you enjoyed the uh, the the thoughts and the reading selection. We'll be back with more and uh, stay tuned. Take it All easy. Right. Again, uh, Dave Foster Wallace and Grommet gmail.com. Um, like and subscribe on iTunes, uh, Spotify, wherever, wherever you listen to your podcast and we'll talk to you next week. Bye.